Hello there, great to be speaking to you once again, my name is Matt, and whichever site you're watching this in, or if you're watching this online, great to be speaking to you as we continue through our series that we've entitled The World Turned Upside Down. We're looking at the New Testament book of Acts, which chronicles the early church, the first Christian believers. And this is message five. In the first week, we focused on the apostles, the followers of Jesus who began the church. Secondly, we looked at the promise before Jesus ascended into heaven. He gave a promise to his followers, his disciples, the apostles, that they would receive power from God by the Holy Spirit. And in week three, we looked at what that looked like at the occasion of Pentecost, where the apostles were filled with Holy Spirit power. Week four was one of the apostles, Peter, stood up and preached the message, the message of the gospel, the message about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that really was the, the early church exploding into life. This week, we've entitled it The Devotion, because we reach a, a point in Acts chapter 2 that the author Luke kind of steps back a little bit and gives a summary of this community that has emerged up to this point. Many Christians over the years have looked at Acts chapter 2 and this description of these early Christian believers and wondered, is this the template for church life? Is this the model? Are we looking here at the sort of organic, true roots of what Christian fellowship, discipleship, as words that we use, is, th is this what it should be now? So have that question uh, in mind. And maybe you're new to Christianity. We're going back to the fundamentals, the very beginning, and seeing what lessons we can learn about how the church should be now and what it means for us. So let's listen to the passage now from Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you were to Google how to live a fulfilled and happy life, don't know if that's something you've ever done. I have occasionally, <laughs> mainly for the process of uh, preparing messages like this. But if you were to do that, you would probably get some steps that sounded something like this. To live a successful and happy life, what you have to do first of all is you have to look within yourself, process of introspection, to consider well, what are the things that make you happy. Then align your life, make some decisions in order for you to orchestrate the aspects of your life along those lines of what makes you happy and then pursue that way of living. So think about what makes you happy, make some changes so you can pursue that and then go and do it and make sure you look after yourself uh, along the way. And in many ways, all of us, whether we think about it consciously or not, are prone to live like that. And in some ways you could say that people live in a sort of constructivist manner. 
meaning and purpose is something that we construct. We make decisions. We have the power to do that in order to make our lives meaningful and purposeful according to our desires and what we would like. We also know that generations gone by and maybe other societies around the world, unlike our Western society right now, they don't have the opportunity to live like that. In generations gone by, your occupation, how you spend your time was more dictated by your circumstance. Your occupation was not something you necessarily chose. If your father was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. You didn't have a choice. That was what your family did. If your family was uneducated, then you were uneducated. And there was nothing much you could do about that. If you were a woman, you could get married and have children. And that was pretty much it. There was a sense of who you are in life is received and you don't have much control over it. That your meaning and purpose came from what was handed to you. Now, obviously, it's much better for us now that we have the freedom, many of us, to choose and construct meaning and purpose in our life. But it's interesting. As we've moved from a society where meaning and purpose was received to a situation where we can construct that for ourselves, it's interesting that we have made moves to do that, that we feel a sense that we do need to orchestrate our lives around a sense of meaning and purpose. We look for that quite quickly if we don't receive it from our circumstances. I mean, we tell our kids, you can be anything you want. But what we are implying and saying in our heads, if not out loud, is, but, but you do need to be something. <laughs> we know that when people have no direction in life, where they just sort of float through, that can feel okay in the short term, but in the long term, it, it lead, can often and does lead to more destructive habits in life. We're prone to get lost very quickly. It, there's something about the human condition. We need a sense of meaning and purpose from knowing where we're going in life. When we get to a stage of, well, you, we might experience it from time to time. We're doing a job, for example, I think, what is the point of this? Why am I giving myself to this? It can get very depressing very quickly when we don't feel that what we do or how we live has any real point or has any sense of meaning. No, meaning seems to be important and we need something to aim at. We need something to pursue and we go about that in a wide range of ways. And sometimes when the big questions of life, whether it's our career or our vocation, um, you know, if maybe we want to, yeah, I'm going to be wildly successful in business. That's what I'm going to do. Or maybe I'm, I'm going to be the best mom or the best dad that I can be. Or I'm just, I'm going to help people. That's what I'm going to do in life. Maybe when we figure those things out, it gives us a sense of stability, but it also happens on a, on a smaller level as well. We tend to give ourselves, sometimes it's actually when we don't know the big questions, we give ourselves to small questions. I don't really know what career I'm going to do, but I'm going to give myself to this app game and I'm going to get a high school. That's what I can do. I can give myself to that. Or I'm going to binge watch this series and I'm going to give myself to that. I'm going to complete that. That'll give me a sense of purpose, even in a small way. We feel the need to give ourselves to something in order to get a sense of meaning and purpose. Why am I talking about this? Well, the passage here says that these early Christian disciples, these apostles of Jesus, they were devoted to things. And the word 
is that's being used there, this devoted word, is not just about their emotions, that they felt strongly about something. Now, the, this word that's translated devoted is much more about a persistent, steadfast, commitment, active kind of word. They gave themselves with intense effort, even in the face of difficulty, they committed to doing these things. So what were they devoted to? We give ourselves in our lives to different things. I'm going to be devoted to my children, or I'm going to be devoted to this TV box set. We can do it in different ways. What were they devoted to? Well, we're actually going to take two weeks to answer that question. This is an important uh, passage, and there's many different aspects to it. We're going to be in this passage for two weeks. Essentially, these disciples, maybe unsurprisingly, they're devoted to Jesus. They're devoted to Jesus. And that devotion outworked itself in two directions. Firstly, their vertical relationship. Their devotion was to Jesus, and therefore they're devoted to teaching and to prayer. What Jesus said and a relationship with him. So it's like their vertical, their relationship with God, devotion was going in that direction. But it also says they were devoted in ways that were horizontal. The community engaged in activity together, fellowship, eating each other's homes, breaking bread. And we're going to focus on that aspect of it in next week's message. Essentially, being devoted to Jesus meant that they loved God and loved one another. That kind of sums up and what Acts 2 is all about. And that's what we're going to unpack here. Firstly, this, in today's message, this idea of being devoted to teaching and to prayer. It says that in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Remember, the apostles were Jesus' disciples, and this was a period of time before the New Testament that we have in our Bible was even written down. And so these apostles were devoted to, what does that mean, the apostles' teaching? Well, it's the things that Jesus had told them. Jesus taught them many things, spoke in parables. We have that now in our gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. These apostles had heard it for themselves, and so that's what they taught others what Jesus said, and also what he said about himself and what they understood about who he was. The fact that he was God, had come to live amongst us, had died for sin and to offer us forgiveness by his sacrificial death on the cross, is risen again to new life. And you'll see that in the, the teaching of and the preaching of Acts, the resurrection. Jesus is the Son of God, vindicated by his resurrection and now his ascension, who Jesus was and what he had taught in his earthly ministry was the apostles' teaching. Now, when we read that, a phrase like that, they were devoted to teaching, it probably reminds us of, I guess, cults and devoted disciples who give themselves to a certain person in a, in a weird way, in a cultish way. And even in recent weeks, there's been examples of um, an individual uh, purportedly in the name of Christianity, but actually use that to manipulate people and to abuse people. And therefore, when it comes to this idea of being devoted to teaching, devoted to what someone says, 
we get a bit suspicious and uncomfortable. And in one sense, rightly so. Rightly so. If you think of the, the last century, it's been really a lesson in the destructive power of doctrine. Think about the last century, the rise of things like fascism, fascism and communism that have been big ideas, big doctrines that people have subscribed to, and it's led to war and the killing of millions of people. And so rightly, we come off the back of that and think, well, doctrine can be dangerous. Big ideas can be dangerous. When people have authority over us, we say, this is how things are. We should be suspicious of that. And that is filtered into the time that we live in. It's understandable. I was in a bookshop the other day, and one of the new, new books is out at the minute. It's okay to be angry about capitalism. That's what it says on, on the cover. Uh, it sums up a lot of people's feelings. Like, wow, be suspicious. Be wary of big ideas because you'll suffer because of them and ob object to them, stand against them. Doctrine is dangerous. That's the type of thing that we live with. And so the society that we're in now, many people, especially younger generations, react to this. Well, we we're not going to accept big truth claims that might be imposed on us. Where do we look? Well, we maybe grew up on Disney films, and so we look within. <laughs> Follow your heart. If you want to know the truth about life and how you should live, look within yourself. Where's that led us? Well, we're starting to uh, experience the fruit of that inward turn and realizing we're all over the place. We're all over the map. We like to say, well, my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. We don't like big, uh, big doctrinal statements, that sort of thing. But it leads us into a very confused and uncertain place when truth is all relative People are very anxious and we have an epidemic of anxiety all around us. Who's what's true? What can we be certain of? We look within and it's all on us. And we live in a time, the rise of fake news, conspiracy theories. We don't trust anyone. But also at the same time, we're more willing to accept conspiracy theories than any other generation before. Different people making contradictory and confusing claims. And in the midst of that, from the back door comes in different new doctrines that is imposed on people, not as a system, but, oh, everyone knows this, doctrines about men and women and interchangeable that can be perhaps. And some people are very dogmatic on certain issues and enforcing that on every, you have to believe this now about men and women and pronouns and, and we think, whoa, this is coming in. Doctrine is dangerous on the one that, apart from the doctrine that we preach. How do we navigate through this? Well, let's go back to the apostles. What was their teaching? What was their doctrine? Their truth was grounded in the person of Jesus. Jesus had said to them, I am the truth. And he taught them 
and spoke the truth to them. And the disciples of Jesus received what he said and they lived according to that truth. That's what we need. Yes, doctrine is dangerous. Human doctrine is dangerous. It is often about controlling and manipulating other people. That's why we need someone outside of ourselves. We need God to help us to understand our world that he has made, to understand ourselves, to understand right and wrong. We can argue about it all day. We receive Jesus who has come to enlighten us, open our eyes to how things really are. That's what Christians believe, that Jesus is the truth, but not just that he speaks the truth about himself, but he helps us to understand life and ourselves and what life is all about. That's the teaching that we need. And let me underline, this is the work of the Spirit as the disciples are committing themselves, devoting themselves to this teaching of Jesus, that is an outworking of the Holy Spirit has just come upon them. The Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost and their response is, we're going to be devoted to teaching, devoted to theology, devoted to Christian doctrine. And there's some parts of the church that might miss this and forget this and we can even say, well, we're in the age of the Spirit now, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit has been poured upon us. We can know God, we can speak to him, we can have his power in our lives. Do we really need theology? Do we really need Christian doctrine? Don't we just need to experience God in the power of the Spirit? This idea, doctrine is dangerous, we just end up disagreeing, so let's just agree the power of the Spirit, that's all we need. Well, let me say, please don't be more spiritual than Jesus is. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples, this is John 14, it says, If anyone loves me, this is the words of Jesus, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you heard is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So yes, I mean, I preached it a few weeks ago. The Holy Spirit comes upon us to bring us into an encounter experience of the presence of God, the love of God, the goodness of God, but the Holy Spirit also teaches us and brings to our knowledge and understanding the ways of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And actually, in order to love Jesus, how do, how do we love Jesus? Well, Jesus himself says, you listen to what I have said to you and you do it. That's love. And the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? He's come to teach us about Jesus. So the cr Christian spiritual life must be grounded in the Word of God, must be grounded in the Bible, the teachings of Jesus. The Word of God and the Spirit of God work together to bring us into fellowship, understanding, connection with Jesus. 
And the New Testament continues in this pattern of teaching us in this way. Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To follow the will of God in this world more than anything else, we need to have our minds transformed by truth, by teaching, by doctrine, by the word of Jesus. Therefore, the apostles devoted themselves steadfastly, persistently, against all obstacles, committed themselves to the teachings of Jesus. They were devoted. Question, are you? Are you? This is the pattern of Christianity, to be devoted to the teachings of Jesus and what he has said to us. Jesus, the word of God, the Bible calls him, came from heaven into our world. And what did he do? He taught people. He taught people all day. He taught until they ran out of food, until it was the end of the day. Until they... He taught, he spoke for hours. He spoke for days. He taught people for three years in the fields. He went to the synagogues. He gathered small groups to himself. He preached to the crowds, but he taught people, spoke about the kingdom, spoke about himself, spoke about how to know God. And yes, the, the church of Jesus Christ is birthed in Holy Spirit power and experience, spiritual experience, and yet what happens? Peter stands up and preaches. He tells them, he explains about what's happening, about who Jesus is, teaching, teaching, teaching. And so it's no actual surprise when we get to Luke's little snapshot here in Acts chapter 2. What's the, what's the Christian experience like? Well, they devoted themselves, first and foremost, to teaching. Following Jesus fruitfully does not work without Jesus' teaching bombarding you day in and day out. It just doesn't work without that. It's not how it's supposed to be. A Christian should be in their Bible every day. A Christian should be receiving the preaching and teaching from the Bible at least weekly, at least weekly. We need to be hearing the Bible, we need to be reading the Bible, we need to be studying the Bible, we need to be memorizing the Bible and meditating on the Bible. This is the Christian life from day one, Acts chapter 2, till now, shaped by a devotion to teaching. Why? Because our minds need to be renewed, transformed. That's what the scripture says. Your love for Jesus needs to be fueled by the truth of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for you, his love for you. It's his grace that teaches us to say no to sin. It's his truth that sets us free. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his testimony that builds our faith. And it's his witness that gives us confidence in his love. I'm not ashamed of the gospel 
for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power is in the word. The power is in the teaching. The spirit teaches us who Jesus is. We need teaching. We need the word. We need the Bible. You need more grace. Do you need more grace in your life? Do you need more truth in your life? Do you need more of God's kindness in your life? More of his love, more of his power. We receive that as we listen to the Bible, as our minds are challenged and shaped by it. It only occurs when we devote ourselves to the scripture, when we make time in our life for the scripture. Do you devote yourselves to God's word? Do you devote yourself to what God has said to you? He's given us the scripture so that we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind for his glory. We're not, we're not there yet, are we? Some of you hear the Bible and you need to start reading it for yourself. Some of you read the Bible and you need to start studying it. Some of you study the Bible, you need to start memorizing scripture. And some of you do all those things and there is an ocean of theological writing that has been passed on through the history of the church history, generation to generation. There's an ocean there to dive in, to help you understand and know more and more and more about what Jesus has done, theology, doctrine, truth, will set your life alight with the power of God. Please don't tell me that you're the exception, that that's not really you, that you don't need to be devoted to God's word. Or, or, or that you that you can. So while well, I'm not academic, I'm not good at reading. The disciples, little Galilean fishermen, they're not educated. I'm not confident that they could read or write. They, they certainly didn't have a smartphone. You are streets ahead of them already, and yet they were devoted to the teaching, the teaching of Jesus. Come on. Be devoted. Let's help one another in being devoted to the Scripture. They're devoted to teaching, but they're also devoted to prayer. Ongoing fellowship with Jesus in the place of prayer. And in fact, I've mentioned this word devoted, and it's actually most used uh, in relation to a commitment to prayer. Remember, this devoted word is not just something that they loved the most necessarily. It's what they did. They gave themselves steadfast, persistently, continuing something even when it's difficult. And I think there's different types of prayer in view here are kind of implied by the text. I mean, the disciples would have seen Jesus in personal prayer. He often, in the gospel accounts, as we read about, Jesus took himself away to a desolate place in order to be with his father early in the morning or late at night to pray to his father. We also have communal prayer, fellowship, breaking bread, praying together. We take communion in our services as a way of doing something to get connecting together with Jesus. Talks about their in their te in the temple courts in their houses. It talks about their praising God. So not, not prayer is not just intercession; it's worship, thanksgiving, 
what we see here in Luke's snapshot is a community marked by prayer and by worship. It just sounds wonderful, doesn't it? This spontaneous joy, and they're all together, and they're breaking bread together, and they're praying, and they're praising glad and generous hearts. I mean, that's, that's your experience of prayer, isn't it? Well, sometimes. Let me say at this point, remember here, Luke's been giving us a summary, a summary of this early, these early Christian believers. Now, it's a summary, it's, it's highlights. When someone asks, how's your week been? You summarize, you don't give them the blow by a blow. When you watch highlights on the TV, for example, highlights of the Glastonbury Festival, you know, you don't see the guitar techies sitting there tuning, ding, ding, tuning the guitars before the acts come on. Now, if you were at Glastonbury, you'd see that bit. When you're watching on TV, you don't see that bit because it's not really that important. You get the highlights. And let, let's remember that this is, this is the highlights. This, this wasn't an idyllic, perfect, utopian community. If you read on uh, in Acts chapter 6, uh, it talks about that this community, problems did arise. It says in Acts chapter 6 that a complaint arose because some people were being left out. And I read that and think, oh yeah, that, that's church. That's the church I know. And not, not you, of course. But, you know, sometimes there's complaints. Sometimes people feel left out in church. Yeah. Yeah. We're weak people. We're broken people. We don't always get it right. And that's true of our church. And it's true of this first church as well, even in this, the book of Acts that we read about. And to be fair, this is actually pre-church. This is just a group of believers trying to work it out right from the beginning. It's a bit messy. It's, it's full of joy, yes. <laughs> and the presence of God, we'll get to that. But it's also disorganized, unpredictable. There's misunderstandings. They come to the surface, as we've already referred to. Some people were just really involved. Other people were lazy. Some people were being helpful. Some people were being unhelpful. You read the rest of the New Testament, the church of Jesus Christ is no picnic. <laughs> it's not always as it seems here in Acts chapter 2. But they didn't let the messiness of church life deter them from being devoted to what really mattered. God's word, prayer, fellowship with one another and that's what we want we're not going to get the practicalities right all the time but we want to know the life of god amongst us you know i'm so pleased to hear feedback from many of you that you really enjoyed and uh, were blessed by the the guided prayer that we've done over the last month and it's great that you enjoyed that what thrills us most as elders is wow yes people are, are praying People are praying, you're experiencing the life of God for yourself. What we, that's what we want for you. That's the best thing that we can have. We, what are, we want most of all is not just that you listen to our teaching on a Sunday, but that you experience the life of God for yourself. You know, th this message that I'm bringing you today, essentially it's Jesus is great, Read your Bible and pray. <laughs> I 
which is essentially what every preach that we bring is, is about. But let me just say that because what people might hear, and I, what I don't want you to hear is like, well, this is something you just ought to do. Look, you know, the Acts 2 church, they were devoted to scripture and devoted to prayer, so we ought to be as well. Let's go and do it. We can easily hear law. It's just a, a morality. This is what the Christian life is. It's, it's doing the things that we ought to do. And people are very familiar with morality, whether it's a religious sort of morality, you know, thou shall not lust, or is it secular morality pops up as well. Thou shall not use plastic straws anymore. Now, the postmodern world that we live in is actually full of morality that we can feel as a pressure on us. Well, we can't do this and we ought to do this. We ought to live like this. And we live in a, a city that prides itself on saying the right thing and doing the right, right thing in its own eyes. How do we respond? We can go into the workplace and, oh, I, I better not say this and I, I better not say that. And I better not speak out of turn. There's, there's rigid lines down about what you can say and not say. And that's we can feel hemmed in by, especially perhaps as a Christian. And it could be um, you're coming here on a Sunday and think, oh, now the preacher's time. I need to pray. I need to read the Bible. I'm being hemmed in. Oh, this morality is hemming me in. It's not what we're talking about here. I, I want you to go into your workplaces this week, not feeling pressed in by law, but going to the workplace, having spent time in God's word, receiving the truth of God's love for you expressed in Jesus Christ, speaking truth to you that sets you free. That's what Jesus has come to bring, to set us free. His grace, his forgiveness, he's died on the cross for our sin. He set us free. He's brought us into a relationship of God's love. That's why we need to read our Bible. We need to know that in a time of morality, in a time of confusion, you need to know God's love and live in it and have that spoken to you day in, day out, and then come to prayers and God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, I can spend time with you. Come and fill me again with the Holy Spirit that I might know your love and know your peace. And then you can go into your workplace free in your heart, free to love others, free to just be and not feel oppressed by everything that comes at you, but have the life of God within you springing up. And the truth, I know who I am. I don't have to be pressured. In. I know who I am in God. I've got the life of God in me. That's why reading your Bible and praying is important. Not because we ought to do, because we get to know Jesus and live with Jesus and encourage one another with the words and the truth and the spirit of Jesus. That's what he says, John 8. Jesus said to those who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you hear me today saying, know the truth, read your Bible, know the truth, it's because I want you to be set free in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what Acts chapter 2, no one told them to be devoted to the scriptures. and They just were because they'd been with Jesus and they wanted to keep going on with Jesus in the power of his spirit. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to teaching because they wanted more of Jesus. 
Let's come into land here. Are we like the Acts 2 church? Well, maybe in some ways, <laughs> the messiness perhaps. The real experience of Jesus amidst the challenges and personal weakness perhaps as well. You know, we're a church here. We're, we're your leaders. And our, our church is, is messy. Sometimes we get it wrong. Emmanuel, this church, it's not what it used to be. It's not what it could be. It, it is what it is. And just like the Acts 2 church is not perfect either. But what I want to say today is that as long as we devote ourselves to Jesus, to his teaching, hold fast to his word, devote ourselves to prayer, hold fast to fellowship, being with him. And from that relationship of love, we love one another. And I'll say more about this next week. Then God willing, I think we'll be all right. These first Christians, they were just ordinary people and they prioritized Jesus. And what happened? Jesus showed up. <laughs> Signs and wonders. It talks about here. It says the power of God was amongst them. People were doing miracles. We'll get to that in, in future weeks and say more about it. It said the Lord added to their number. People were being saved. Jesus was adding people to the church. They made Jesus the center and Jesus was right there in the center, working, adding to his church, saving people, setting people free. This is what the church should be if the word of God is honored, if the worship of God is sincere, if the people of God are cared for, then the power and the presence of God should be expected. That's the church. So let's make, let's allow this passage to be an inspiration to us. And in the same way, continue our devotion to Jesus. And in our generation, be faithful to him. Be faithful to his word. Prize his word and his spirit in prayer and in deed. Be faithful to Jesus and continue the legacy of the church we read here. And pass the baton on to the next generation and say, go on, keep prizing the word of God. We see so sadly in our time, so many churches just neglecting the word of God, compromising the word of God, dismissing the word of God being lackluster in prayer, and they're wondering, where's the power gone? Let's prize God's word. Let's prize his presence and be devoted to him and expect him to be with us. And brothers and sisters, we'll be all right. We'll be more than all right. We'll have the power and the presence of God amongst us, adding, saving, Signs and wonders following for his glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.